Coming up this week, off screen, Michael Fassbender goes western in Slow West. The Minions get their own movie in, wouldn't you know it, Minions. Keanu Reeves meets the home intruders from hell in Knock Knock. Peter Bogdanovich returns to the screen with She's Funny That Way. Salma Hayek gets revenge of her own to fight for her life in Everly. Scientology goes under the microscope in documentary Going Clear. And Adam Scott and Taylor Schilling meet their new neighbours in The Overnight. All of that to come and more off screen. This is. This is off screen. Off screen. the latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen, I'm Van Connor. My name is Mr. Case Allen. Is that is that your name, Mr. Case Allen? Yeah, is Mr. That... is now my first name. <laughs> Mr. is now your first name, <laughs> not his first name, his agent. Yeah. Right, so, what do we, uh, should we start with uh, with Slow West this week, then? Let's do it, Fastbender. Okay, so Fastbender in, in a Western, what could possibly go wrong with this? Uh, so Slow West, which is the debut feature from, um, this is this is the former beta band singer, mm. uh, John McLean. John McLean, John McLean? Hey, it's John McLean. John John McLean. John McLean. 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 Okay, because yeah. it's weird. I've been calling him John McLean or John McLean. I can't seem to decide which. <clears throat> I heard somebody. It was on Nevermind Buscocks once. Weirdly, when he was like contestant, somebody said John McLean. So, oh, he was a contestant on Buscocks years ago. All right, okay. Mark so Lamar is... years. The Mark Lamar years. Yeah. The good years. The good years. So this is a. This is uh, John McLean's debut feature. Um, this stars uh, Michael Fassbender and Cody Smith McPhee, and is the story of Jay Cavendish, a young Scottish boy. Who, well, I say young boys, it's sort of 18 to 20, I would say, age-wise, mm. who's trekking his way across America in the pursuit of his lost love. Along the way, he encounters a would-be uh, would-be robber, would-be murderer, played by Michael Fassbender, and the pair team up to make the trek, with Fassbender serving as Cody Smith-McPhee's guardian of sorts. Here's a clip. I know why you need my help. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You're lonely. You're a lonely man. Sure, kid. Sure, kid. Let's drift. A silent, lonely drifter. You're a lonely, lonely man. No need to concern over me. Hold still. All I'm saying is, there's more to life than just surviving. Yeah, there's dying. Survival ain't just how to skin a jackrabbit. It's knowing when to bluster and when to hush, when to take a beating and when to strike. It's a very much a character-driven piece, Slow West. I mean, there's a lot of people have uh, a lot of people who haven't liked it have immediately picked on the name. Said, "Yeah, slow is definitely yeah. the right term for it." Slow West, <laughs> and I suppose in one sense it is quite a slow western. It's uh, it's one of those films that it, it, it's entirely character-driven. There's there is there is a, a story to it. I don't think it's completely devoid of story, but it's mm. uh, it's it's heavily focused on the characters, but. Uh, it's kind of weird. It's, it doesn't reinvent the Western. It sort of adds a new sort of contemporary spin to it, particularly in terms of its dialogue and how it's written. And it is, it's funny when it needs to be, and it's quite dramatic and moving when it needs to be. And it, it, it ticks all those boxes in equal measure. Um, there's a great performance from Ben Mendelsohn in there as well, who I know you're a big fan of. Big fan. Well, he like he steals this. But Amazing. Uh, he has this sort of... It's almost like a, what I would describe as a Reese Iffens role, if you can imagine such a thing. 
I weirdly know what you're talking about. You actually. know what I mean when yeah, I say yeah. a Reese Siffins role? Because Reese Siffins actually does this role in She's Funny That Way later. <laughs> but uh, it is basically a sort of Reese Siffins type, let's pop up and steal the show kind mm. of extravagant performance. It's because of Notting Hill. I think that's where that it stems is. from, yeah. But uh, Michael Fassbender, great in it. He does that grizzled, I mean, you can imagine, it's Fassbender, doing a grizzled Western character. Yeah, it's no brainer, isn't it's it? It's no brainer. There's no way that's yeah. going badly. But I really like Cody Smith McPhee in it. I think he's mm. definitely got a future in doing this sort of character-driven, uh, doing sort of character roles. I would say. Mm. I mean, we got a sort of faint hint of this in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, definitely. When with the sketchbook, you know, the sketchbook. Yeah, stuff, yeah. I think yeah. that I think that was the first example of him really kind of growing up because because he was a child, was a child actor. actor. Yeah. What, what do I know him from as a child? Because I can't remember this offhand. I will just quickly refresh both of our memories. I've just remembered. It's Go the. On. Is it Let the Right One In or is it the remake? It's the remake. The remake, which is Let Me In. Let Me it? In, yeah. Right, that's the. The Road. The of Road. Course, that's the road. The oh, one. and he was great in that. He was, well. he was great. Wow, he's Cody. Voices uh, Paranorman. I think Cody Smith might be a great actor and we're just not giving him credit, I think. That might be the case. Yeah. But anyway, the real credit <laughs> for Slow West deserves to go to John McLean, who's. He's he shot this thing beautifully. It is a stunning looking film. And it's it's a film that it, it, in the kind of a similar way to that mad the recent recent Mads Mikkelsen film, the Mad Mikkelsen oh, Western. Oh, the, the West. Oh, what was that? I, for the life, of me, the Salvation. That, oh, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. In the, exactly the in the same way that the Salvation had that wonderful sense of place, this does as well. Hmm. And and it's great. It's great with it. Um, I think there is definitely a, a calling card at work here for both Cody Smith McPhee and John McLean. And definitely, I need. I want to see more of the pair of them. Mm. Slow West itself is kind of surprising in places, but very, very enjoyable. Um, I do think that the film is going to be overshadowed by the eventual careers of John McLean and yeah. Cody Smith McPhee. It's one of those films that can kind of get overlooked. You know how you look at Tarantino now and you never think of Reservoir Dogs anymore. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. You kind which of. Which is a shame. <laughs> which is a shame because that's the best thing Tarantino. You know. Will, Never really do. I mean, it's uh, the best debut you could really hope for. Exactly. Think. I'd, I'd say this has yeah. that effect, but I think like Reservoir Dogs for Tarantino twenty years ago, he's going to catapult it. He's going to yeah, he's going yeah. to become so much. A bit like Ben Wheatley. Yes, in Downtown was was a fantastic film, and then Kill List came out, which kind of skyrocketed him. Yeah, it's true. I'm not a fan of Ben Wheatley though. Although oh, Doctor really? Who did prove to me that he can direct. Uh, he can direct well. His films are just better when he's not involved in the writing of them. Wait until High Rise. We, we, we will see on yeah. that one. <laughs> right. So, shall we have a look at some uh, some film news for the week? I think we so, should. There's, there's loads. There's, there's loads. so much to talk about. So, we should talk about James Horner first. Yeah. James Horner. Very, very sadly. Yeah. James away. Horner sadly passed away in uh, rather horrific circumstances. It was a plane mm, crash. It was a plane crash. She was a pilot as well as a composer, and sadly, his, uh, his light aircraft crashed. Yep. Yeah. And he leaves behind a legacy of film music, which we say we, we were comparing our sort of John, 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 John James Horner, James Horner. Yeah. scores. Before we started recording, and uh, we because I said aliens. That that's my go-to James yeah. Horner. Uh, yeah. Apollo thirteen is probably mine. Oh, that's a good think, one. Which is a really good one. But you think? I mean, that man worked so much in the nineties. He really you most of nineties cinema. <laughs> yeah, everything from like Jumanji to Apollo thirteen to. Oh. Did James Horner do Dances with Wolves? No, no, he didn't. I, I think I think it was James Newton Howard. Please prove me wrong. <laughs> and we were literally saying it's so easy to get those two confused. Yeah. But yes, yes, sadly he has passed, as has Patrick McNee this week. Mm. John Steed himself. Steed himself. Original Avenger. The, the, the first Avenger. Yeah. Step aside, Cap. <laughs> no. I completely forgot that he is in Spinal Tap as well. Is he? 
Yeah. I, I'd forgotten that as well. I, He's in I it for like of, two minutes. When I think of his film work, I tend to remember him from A View to a Kill. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. But also because I remember Roger Roger Moore's god-awful alias being St. John Smythe, James St. John Smythe. Well, they were big friends, and uh, Roger Moore has uh, since tweeted about his death. Yeah, I saw this. Yeah, J- Roger yeah. Moore's been uh, been eulogising him online the last day or so. Yeah, as he did for Christopher Lee, so tough tough yeah. time, really. Yeah. It seems that Roger Moore has quite a collection of friends. Who were all 93. Who, all, yeah, all the same strange, age as well. Yeah. 93 seems to, be, uh, seems to be the magic number lately. Mm. Good um, innings, though, 93. Oh, good. Uh, we didn't talk about this last week. Rob Zombie has announced that his next project, since the Halloween franchise is moving on without him, is <laughs> going. Blame it. I know it's going to be an adaptation of uh, the memoirs, um, uh, the memoirs of Groucho Marx, uh, Raised mm. Eyebrows. Now this, this right. sounds like. I mean, on, on paper, brilliant. On paper, brilliant <laughs> idea. The only problem is we've seen Tim Burton do this kind of thing before and get it so so wrong. Mm. The question is: Is this going to be Rob Zombie's Edward? Or is this going to be Rob Zombie's Charlie the Chocolate Factory? That kind of thing. I I would hope it would be leaning more towards the former. You would hope for Edward. Yeah. But the, there are, there are times when you know the perfect marriage of director and material can go so so wrong. And I'm but I don't this think this isn't one of them. I I look at this and I didn't think it was a perfect marriage to start with. Then you start thinking about it. Once you start looking into it, it becomes infinitely That's clearer. It, yeah. But uh, we'll, we shall find out when uh, Raised Eyebrows eventually releases. Has that uh, got a release date? Or? There is no release date as of okay. yet. So let's have a look at Minions then, because uh, this is going to be the biggie I think this week in terms of in terms of its box <clears> office draw. Minions I think is going to own the multiplex. I mean, have you been to a multiplex the last couple of days? Uh, I tried to avoid it. Yeah, it's it's very, very hectic, and there are a lot of children around. Yeah, I can um, I can imagine that. a lot of children, a lot, lot of lot of dinosaurs. Yeah, there's a lot of Minions t-shirts at the multiplex mm. as well. So Minions, which is the third entry in the Despicable Me franchise, it's a sort of uh, sequel, spin-off, prequel hybrid in a strange way. Oh. In that it takes place nearly 40 years before the events of Despicable Me. It takes place in late 60s New York, mostly, uh, and centres around the history of the Minions themselves, who it ter- who are told in this sort of uh, Werner Herzog-like documentarian-style <laughs> intro. Oh, which is- I wish that he directed that film. <laughs> I know. Did you ever see uh, Penguins of Madagascar? Yeah. With the Werner Herzog mm-hmm. intro. That was, that was <laughs> ingenious. This has a similar thing with uh, Jeffrey Rush. Jeffrey Rush does the narration <laughs> of the history of the Minions. And in that way wow. that only Jeffrey Rush can do. The Minions evolve from single-celled organisms <clears throat> to, you know, actual walking anthropomorphic creatures. And basically wandered throughout history, serving the most despicable master in the world. So depending on where you are in history at the time, the most evil creature is who they serve. So in the dinosaur era, they go and serve a T-Rex. In the right, caveman yeah. era, they go and serve the alpha male. In you know, blah blah. In the Viking era, they will go and serve yeah. Yeah. And you know, they go and serve Dracula, and they go and serve the Pharaoh, and they go and, <laughs> and they go. But the only problem is that because of their natural sort of accident-prone nature, they keep accidentally killing their masters. Right. And you've seen this in the trailer, particularly with Dracula, where they, they open the curtains and, and mm. you know dust him, for lack of a better term. This eventually leads to an, att- an accidental attempt on the life of Napoleon, who takes it rather badly and basically tries to arrange the genocide of the minions, who promptly flee and hide in the Arctic, where they form a society of their own. But without a master to actually <laughs> serve, the minions start to basically, for lack of a better term, physically and psychologically decay. 
they, they start to... There's a queue of them waiting to see a psychiatrist who is just literally a minion with a clipboard. And uh, so, enter, enter Kevin, who sort of appoints himself the visionary of the minions, who elects to leave the cave, go back into the outside world and find a master for them to serve, and thus renew their, their purpose in life. And he takes along a pair of volunteers, Stuart and Bob. Bob is a sort of young, uh, impressionable, childlike minion, and Stuart is sort of a cool, laid-back, acoustic guitar-playing guitar playing minion. minion. <laughs> so the three venture out into the real world in search of a master. Here's a clip. It is time to get down to business. Do you know who this is? Uh, La Cucaracha? This is Queen Elizabeth, ruler of England. Oh, I love England. The music, the fashion. I'm seriously thinking about overthrowing it someday. (gasps) Anyway, this pale drink of water oversees it all. I'm her biggest fan, love her work, and I really, really, really want her crown. (laughs) Steal me the crown and all your dreams come true. Respect. Power. Banana. Banana. Scarlet Overkill. That's what I was going to say. Scarlet Johansson. Scarlet Overkill. (laughs) Uh, Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock and... Banana, but uh, because that's the rallying cry of the film. I mean, I, I, we did the yeah. the thing in in London last week, and they were mm. literally handing out min, uh, bananas to the kids in minion T-shirts. It was the weirdest wow. little thing, well, as in actual bananas, as in actual bananas with a little minion band round them. They're handing them out to the kids. <laughs> it was the strangest thing. Uh, right, first of all, this is going to be huge. It is a staggering. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's an incredibly well-intentioned film. Can't deny that. It wears its heart on its sleeve in one sense, but also it goes back to something that I think the last Despicable Me movie was lacking. Now, for me, on a story level, the genius of Despicable Me, you know, five years ago now, was what it did with mm-hmm. villains. Its exploration of the sort of Looney Tunes-like supervillain culture, yeah. uh, which, you know, when you coupled that with a sense of heart and the, the really mm. great writing... That's what I really, really liked about it, and now... The focus has shifted it has. towards a minion. So that's why I. Well, when you got to Despicable Me 2, they, they, they did this thing. Because of how Despicable Me had ended, Despicable Me 2 went to this place where it had to be nice, effectively. It had to be all nicey nicey about it. And the villain thing had more or less gone away. And now it was, okay, he's more or less a hero. So we didn't really get much exploration of the villain culture. We didn't get any more insight into the villain world that the first hmm. movie had set up. Despite the fact that there was an infinitely more logical way to do a second movie, which was, okay, let's do that with heroes now. Let's go, let's see what happens when a hero shows up. Well, maybe they're waiting for that for Despicable Me 3. 3, yeah, Yeah. because uh, the idea of a hero showing up and not realising that Gru is good, that to me is a more interesting... That's like the logical progression. That's that's the logical progression for me. Now, so you now got the minions, which because it's gone back in time, allows you to go back into the, the villain side of things. And that little hint you got in the first movie with the the Bank of Evil, former Lumion mm. brothers, is is, <laughs> now, yeah, is now a whole world. So this is this movie is basically the Will Arnett character exploded into a whole sort of mm. universe, which brings in characters such as Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton plays what who a man who seems to be a suburban husband who's actually a you know a bank robber and a criminal, mm. a family led bank robber and criminal. 
as in he and Alison Janey, his wife, drive around in their in their, uh, their their station wagon with their kids in the back, and they pull over at banks as they drive across the country. They get out and they all they rob the banks They'll as a family. Bank. Wow, it's yeah. a nice family day trip. That is the yeah. And Michael Keaton and Alison Janey are terrific in this. I wouldn't expect anything less. Now that's a problem because they are actually infinitely more enjoyable than Sandra Bullock and, and John, John Hamm, Hamm, as who are meant to be sort of the antagonists of the piece. What is John Hamm's character's name? I forget. Hal, I want to say. I want to Is say it Herb. Herb, that's it. Herb Overkill. Herb yeah, Overkill. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's it. Yeah. it. Scarlet Overkill and Herb Overkill. And he's, <laughs> and he's kind of a, a, a gadgety, sort of 60s, swinging 60s inventor type. Um, you've got the minions themselves, though, and they, of course, are the star. They, they are the focus of the film. They are the stars of the film. And they are the reason to see the film. They're what you're going to take away from the film. And to be fair, the film delivers. You know, all the minion action you could possibly want and more. It is funny. It is sharp. It is well written. I think a lot of people who are more more adjusted mentally to the Despicable Me way of doing things, who didn't get that Despicable Me was about the villains in the first place, are going to be disappointed with it because the film is what I wanted it to be. It is about the villains. About the villains, yeah. And that's what the Spick or Me should have always been about, not mm. the second. I think the second movie is a massive misfire. I don't think it's a bad film. I do think it's a misfire, though. A bit of a miss opportunity. It's a wasted yeah. opportunity for me. Sorry. Sorry. Um, I was going to say that my... I don't want to say hatred, but my dislike of Minions has been well advertised. Is it? Is, is it because of the overexposure of them? I yes, you think definitely. It? I've I've said it to many many people, um, and I was kind of dreading this film coming out because I just didn't think it was going to have much of a progression or a story arc. And the way that you've set it up for me, yeah, with them going and trying finding a different master, I think that's actually quite clever. It is quite clever. Um, I do. I mean, don't get me wrong. The third act, uh, the third act does go a little bit off kilter. It does go to a bit more traditional Despicable Me hmm. type shenanigans. I will say that they have kept one very very large plot point out of the marketing. And there is also, in the marketing, a deliberate lie as well, okay. which, which is is meant to conceal a little... So, I won't go into Not detail, into but now, when yeah. you see the film, if you then see the trailer, you'll be like, oh, that's quite clever, because they've made it look like, okay... There is there is a trick at work. And it's well done, because it, it threw me off, I wasn't expecting it, and yeah, I, I will say that. Uh, by the way, uh, I think it's... Uh, is it Joanna Lumley as the, as the Queen? No, I quite like oh, her. Oh, that's, that's good casting. I, I quite yeah. like her. Is it Joanna? I want to say Joanna Lumley. I forget offhand. But uh, yeah, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, kids are going to go nuts for it. The kids in the screening I was in were they were having Loved the it. time of their <laughs> lives. The, the parents, we were, you know, they were all sat back, sort of you know, laughing themselves senseless. Well, that's that's what you want, especially like post Pixar success story. Exactly. You want, it's you want a the solid adults family as well. Fun. Yeah. This don't get me wrong. This will not be as iconic as Despicable Me. I think Despicable Me is a modern classic of the genre. Okay, but I I don't think this is as a classic by any means. It's a very enjoyable film, hmm. and it's very good. But I don't think it's a classic of the genre. Just a little bit of uh, caretaking, Go just on. on that last bit. You said Joanna Lumley, yeah, Jennifer Saunders. So I was close. You were close. I, I, I was almost there. Yeah, almost. I can I can see where you made your mistakes. Completely fine. <laughs> oh, they're basically the same person. <laughs> <laughs> it's all abfab. <laughs> it's all abfab exactly. So uh, have you heard about this this uh, this documentary that Courtney Love is trying to have shut down? Uh, yeah, soaked in bleach. Soaked in bleach, yeah. which is the the examination of Kurt Cobain's uh, fate. Yeah, which is it it's quite interesting. This is coming out so soon after Montage of Heck. Yes, I which has been that as so well. wildly praised. Right, so it's very good. 
I, I've yet to see montage of Very good. but Courtney Love is allegedly trying to legally block the release of the film. Mm. Now I want to point out as well, we we put this as a news article on the site in in the news bit, and uh, you would not believe the vitriol that you, <laughs> that that, it, that gets generated if you put the name Courtney Love on Twitter or Instagram. Oh, I've seen it. I've seen it. <laughs> People went nuts. Yeah, we will. People really hate Courtney Love. Mm. Like I, I don't really ever give her that much thought because it's Courtney Love. Who cares? But I can name two songs by Hole. I can, I can name Celebrity it. Skin, and that's it. And, and that's, I can name that and Malibu. Well, Celebrity Skin is the only one that's on my playlist. That's but, fair, yeah. yeah. So, oh, Maleficent sequel. That's happening. Disney well, going course. ahead with that one. Why wouldn't they be? That's. A, I mean, made so much money for them and. Going back to the well, isn't it? It really is, isn't it? So, I mean, are we just going to get to the stage where we start hiring when Angelina Jolie turns it down for money reasons, where they just go and hire Regina from Once Upon a Time to take the role <laughs> yeah. over, and, and that becomes a thing? Lana Perea, that's her name. In the sequel, is she going to actually be a bad guy? Is she going to revert back? Is that? Oh, I have no idea. I don't care. I hated Maleficent so much. Yeah. But oh, oh, my my favorite news of the week: Jason Statham. At the uh, unveiling, at the opening of Fast and Furious Supercharged, the new ride at Universal Studios, mm-hmm. did did some interviews and revealed that Deckard Shaw, his character, will be returning for will Fast return. and Furious 8. Have you ever seen an episode of American Dad in which uh, Roger the Alien breaks out of the uh, Thai prison? You know, where he's, no, he's, so. he's underwater and he's in a glass cage that's chained to the bottom of the ocean. And it shows you him, he escapes yeah, yeah, by yeah. killing all the guards and making a raft of their bodies. <laughs> and his oar is literally one of their severed arms. That's the only way Jason Statham's character returns to this universe. But that could happen. <laughs> it really could. Actually, given the opening of Furious 7, not oh, such a great... Not entirely out of the realm of possibility. Such a great opening. <laughs> I love that opening. I, I really want to see that again. There is a video doing the rounds, by the way, that fuses Furious 7 with Minions. It actually digitally inserts Minions into okay. Furious 7. And I, I love it because one of them has actually replaced Tyrese with a Minion. It, it, it's fantastic. <laughs> so what's our next review? I'm going to do Knock Knock. Uh, well, I think we're going to do uh, Box Office Top 10. Oh, yeah, Box Office Top 10. That, yeah. Yeah. Okay, then. Number 10. Moving down to number 10, Mad Max Fury Road. I don't know what else we can say about it. I love it. You love it. We all love it. It's great. It's great. Number 9. And it's still hanging in there. Number 9, The Empire Strikes Back. The funny thing about this, when Back to the Future was the secret cinema event, mm. um, it was, I think, number 8 or number 9 permanently for about six weeks. And because it was completely sold out for those six weeks, mm. it made the exact <clears throat> same figure every single week. <laughs> It's Which nice is, when you like ch- wanted to change things. You, you could you just could, leave it. You could literally predict it every week. You're like, okay, so it's going to come back this week, and it will make two hundred and forty thousand. Because that's I'll bear that in mind. I'm, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to put like a bet on uh, for next week. Sure. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. If you learn how many tickets they have in advance, you could technically get a William Hill and bet. Oh, <laughs> and now we're telling everybody else to do this. Oh, damn it! Damn it! We've learned oh. our tip slip. Number eight. Insidious Chapter Three is down. It's in uh, number eight position. I liked. I liked it. It was great. Really liked it, yeah. Perfectly solid standalone sort of supernatural horror film. Mm. I didn't enjoy the first two, so I'm still a bit at odds as to whether to even bother watching this. I think you will like it on the ground that it's not intrinsically connected to those first two films. It works on its own merits. Okay. Number seven. Straight in at number seven, all you Nicholas Sparks fans. Well, I'm not a Nicholas Sparks fan, but I enjoyed it. You enjoyed this. it, though, didn't the you? Ride, the longest ride, The longest ride, yeah. Which I liked. I mean, I like Scott Eastwood. I think he is a USDA-approved Hemsworth. 
<laughs> strong jaw, strong jaw, strong jaw. Yeah, it has got a good cast. Uh, Bit Robson, who obviously Tomorrowland, I really really mm-hmm. liked. Um, Jack Houston. Who, yeah, uh, obviously we we don't have interaction with online this week, strangely. Mm. Uh, but no, Jack Houston, I really liked in it. Alan Alda, I think is always fun to see. Oh yeah, I love, and, Alan, Alda. I love Alan Alda and uh, Una Chapman. I'm a big fan of Una okay, Chapman. Yeah, yeah. Um, seems to have come out of nowhere, and she's great in everything. She's all wide eyed, so does the wide eyed innocence thing quite well. Number six, moving down to number six. Go on, surprise me, <laughs> San Andreas. <laughs> what do we do now? We must rebuild. <laughs> What a film. We have a big American flag flying around. Flying behind us, yeah. We've, we've got the slow motion flag waving behind us. Yeah. Uh, but no, loved it. What more say? It's a classic old school disaster movie. It is. Number five. This is pretty low for a new entry, I would think. I will let you introduce it. Number five. It's Entourage. I'm not introducing it. You're not doing the bit? I'm, no. done. I'm done. One week was enough. Two weeks was enough. Okay. But yeah, Entourage, which isn't as bad. It's not the you know, scourge of all evil, which everyone makes out, but it's pretty bad. <clears throat> um, it, if you're a fan of the series, you will find it you know, decently enjoyable. But I think otherwise, it, it is just it's binge-watching of an event series and nothing more. Number four. Straight in, Mr. Holmes, Ian McKellen as Mr. Holmes. It's Ian McKellen as Mr. Holmes. You said it yourself. You've sold the film right Done. there. Um Really well directed, really well written, really well performed. I mean, that's that's pretty that's pretty impressive taking for first week for that level of film. Yeah. Was it three quarters of a million? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah, pretty, good. pretty yeah. good. Pretty good, good go. Number three, moving down to number three, Melissa McCarthy, the Stafe, and <laughs> the necessary Sophonowitz in Spy, which you say you liked but didn't love. I think that was, yeah, that I liked was it, it but it? didn't love. Um, no, I I really enjoyed. It. I wouldn't say I I more than liked it. I didn't love it. I really enjoyed it. That, that's what I will say. Uh, Melissa McCarthy, very funny in it. Statham, very, very funny in it. Mm. I even liked Alison Janney in it. Oh, come on, even. She she could be the no, star of that film. I, I, I mean, she's getting no kudos for it. I think she deserves some. Oh, good man. Everybody watch every... Oh, by the way, coming towards the uh, end of season four of West Wing. Oh, you, you are finally. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're enjoying some Alison Janney at the moment. Oh, I really am. <laughs> number two. Straight in at number two. Never forget that people love Take That. You see, I've I've seen Take That live, so I, I you know I can't really say. I would I would imagine my show is actually pretty. They, their their live shows good, are yeah. pretty good. Um, right, Take That live obviously is a live event cinema thing. I haven't seen it because why would I? It's a single screening, isn't it? Was it, was it only a single one I night? I believe event? it was a one night only, but several cinemas are to open different screens. There is an encore performance, I think, in a few weeks' time. Okay. Beginning of July, they're actually doing an encore. So we might see it return. So it will. 10. It might return to the top ten. I think in about three or four weeks' time. Number one. A non-mover, nobody is getting rid of Indominus Rex, Jurassic World. <laughs> so you made a new dinosaur? Probably not <laughs> Probably a good not idea. idea. <laughs> yeah, what, what more is there to say about Jurassic World? It's awesome. Um, I liked it. I, I liked it. I, I loved it. I it was great fun. You can pick it to pieces, don't get me wrong. You, I you just can... don't think that you should. I don't it's, think it's no. like picking Independence Day to pieces. Exactly. It's that level of entertainment. I mean, it is it is a nice companion piece to the 93 original. It is the first great sequel in this franchise. It's a lot of fun. It's a ride. It's a spectacle. That's what it is. It's a ride. I think that's, that's it. It is a perfect ride, way of describing it, really. Exactly. I mean, don't get too hung up on some of the narrative, some of the narrative flaws in it, because you know what? That's they, they were there with the original. If we're, we're really honest about it, who cares? It was in the Navy, and now he works with dinosaurs. Who cares? <laughs> who cares? Maybe he was training dolphins. You don't know. We don't know. We don't know about Vincent D'Onofrio and his weird preoccupation with militarizing raptors. Just let, let him let him be kingpin again. Do you think like Vincent D'Onofrio's character was like on Tinder and that's on his profile? <laughs> Interests militarizing dinosaurs. <laughs> 
<laughs> dislikes not having dinosaurs being militarized. <laughs> Swipe left. <laughs> Right, so let's move on. Let's to, move on. Uh, okay, we have another review. Uh, knock Knock oh, says uh, the Eli Roth, Keanu Reeves attempt at funny games. That's what I've got from the trailer. Well, effectively, it's Fatal Attraction for the YOLO generation. I think that's how I'm best describe it. Wasn't press shown, wasn't given any clips, nothing. The clip we have is actually a piece of the trailer. This is a story of an architect who's home alone one weekend, finishing up a work project whilst his family are away at the beach. There is a knock at his door, and two rain-soaked girls who are stranded in his neighbourhood ask him for, basically, assistance getting to a party. Um, this quickly leads to a an inadvertent night of passion and the following morning a healthy dose of post-coital blackmail when they sort of reveal that they are uh, underage uh, he of course doesn't go for this the sort of shenanigan so uh, he kicks them out but their return and revenge is swift and brutal here's a clip we're so sorry to bother you sir but my phone got wet and she left hers at her house well if you guys want you can come in and use my phone guys i have your clothes they're pretty much dry there's not a lot of good to say about this film. I say it is the latest by Eli Roth. It does maintain Eli Roth's somewhat pornographic sensibilities. It is the worst performance of Keanu Reeves' career, and believe me, that is saying something. And I'm, wow. I'm, I'm talking, is... uh, yeah, I'm talking about Keanu Reeves who turned up worse in... than Johnny Mnemonic, worse than worse than when he turned up in Shakespeare with "What ho, my lord." <laughs> <laughs> worse than uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. That was my next yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> Worse than the Count is sinister. <laughs> yeah. Oh, than... you have been practicing about this. Uh... Really? No, <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I've never, I never do the Keanu one. That was on point. <laughs> but no, this is one. This is easily the worst performance of Johnny Depp's career. There is a point. Johnny Depp. Uh, Johnny is Depp. He in it as well? No, Johnny Depp. Sorry, Keanu Reeves. Surely that would be a really good performance. Johnny Depp being Keanu Reeves being bad in a film. That would be quite good, actually. Yeah. Have they ever done a film together, Johnny Depp and Keanu Reeves? Don't think they I have. Don't know. Maybe if you go back to like the late eighties, maybe I will research it for yeah. when I'm next on. But no, Keanu Reeves' career. Um, there is a point in the film in which he seems to be. It's almost as if he's envious of the career of Nicolas Cage, and he's, he's really. It's like he's been studying the Wicker Man for you know tips on how to really truly ham it up, mm. and because the he in the third act in particular, he really goes for that Wicker Man territory. Now on a cinematic level um, it's no better directed than any of Ross Hostel movies um, the story is a decent concept but it's executed with this sort of porn industry style of writing which goes hand in hand with the porn industry style of acting and the it really is I mean if you told me that this had been put together by mm. some sort of right wing fundamentalist Christian moms organisation right. as a sort of extended PSA on the horrors of infidelity and the consequences <laughs> of infidelity I would actually believe, believe you it, yeah. but the sad thing is that if that actually was the case it would result in a better film than what this is uh, which is quite simply rubbish. It is demonstrable rubbish. Hmm. Um, there's, there is a point in the... I mean, there's a, the, the whole threat of the film is that they, they may or may not kill him, these two girls. And you think, yeah, but the movie sets itself up with this prolonged ten-minute sequence in which we're exposed to the wonderful domestic life of Keanu Reeves, which is so nauseating, show, so sugar-soaked, mm. that you can't help but think the idea of death might actually be somewhat of an act of mercy, like an act of sweet relief, because quite clearly this guy's life is horrible anyway. Right. Oh, monster loves his children. 
whoa, go to school, kids. It, and is that is kind he of still a... Ted? <laughs> no, it's like that, though. Right, okay. But it's a 40, it's a near 50-year-old guy doing it. That's where this has gone mm. wrong. It's like, it's almost like... You don't care for his character, then. Oh, God, no. No, 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 no. Not and, there's, and there's no threat for his family. And, and if there was... You the the, the family are removed from the threatening because they're away for the weekend while all this is going on. Right. But I, I will say this. I, by the end of the film, you wish that... You not only you you not only hope all the way through the film that they do kill him. You kind of hope there's someone waiting with a bullet for you afterwards. <laughs> like when you leave the screen, someone's there waiting with a nail gun for you. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Off Screen. Welcome back to Off Screen. So we're gonna have a look at Everly next, which is the mm. uh, the latest from uh, John Lynch, horror director John Lynch, who brought us, I think, Wrong Turn Two of all things. Yeah. This is a sort of this is an almost John Wick esque action thriller sort of pulpy romp starring Salma so Hayek of all yeah. people. This has gotten some scathing reviews. Now I don't think it deserves them personally. Okay, but uh, the basic story: this begins this begins literally smack in the middle of a scene. This begins in media res with Salma Hayek fighting for her life, having been exposed as uh, an informant for the police. She's actually a sort of imprisoned prostitute in an apartment, in an apartment building, in a very nice apartment, that we're told she hasn't left in four years. That basically her clients just show up at this apartment, and presumably this happens to every apartment in the building. Um, Basically, her her clients have all turned on her at once. They're all under the employ of the uh, evil pimp crime lord figure um and she uh, she basically is told that she's going to be dead before the end of the night she has to fight her way out of the building and secure the, secure the safety of her young daughter whom she's never actually met and her mother here's a clip sorry i have to do this if i don't like us gonna kill me how could wrong you i can kill you too no, we don't have to do this right now. I know I'm gonna die tonight. But I have a mother and a five-year-old daughter, and I have to do something to make sure they're gonna be okay. Stop, no dog! Please help me save my child. After that, I will come back here, and I promise it'll be you who finishes this off. How do I know you're gonna come back? Because as long as I'm alive, he will be obsessed with haunting us. But once I'm gone, he'll forget about them in time and they will be free. So Salma Hayek there with her, I will be dead before sundown, at sunrise sort of a a concept. It's a great concept, isn't it? I mean, I... I wasn't entirely sure about the premise of it. I think, yeah, I'm, I'm sold on that. Right. Yeah. Strangest thing about it, I mean, that that's the concept. She has to fight away out of the building. Now, we ve- they very, very quickly establish, very early on in the film, that she's not getting out of the building. The whole film is going to take place in this building. Hmm. And it does. Now, this film, I say John Wick is the closest thing I can compare it to, and and yet, obviously, that's not going to have been an intentional influence because of the the time when it of, came out. Yeah, yeah, because well, it's, it's, it's like when Dread and The Raid came out. Yeah, similar, kind very of similar thing. kind of concept. Similar kind of concept, but this is uh, in fact the Raid is a good comparison as well because okay. it all takes place in an apartment building. Well, that's, well that, when you said that, <laughs> yeah. that's the first thing that sprung to mind. But it's it's Salma Hayek with a variety of weapons taking on a variety of men in suits. Uh, the best way to describe mm. it, and. As it goes, it, there's a sort of video game sensibility to it in that the, the, the men she's fighting become increasingly more outlandish as the movie goes on. Costumes start to appear, for instance. It's like a different boss. Different has, boss level. It literally yeah. has boss level. It's like a running man. Yeah. <laughs> it like, goes it up and up. It literally has boss level. Now, Salma Hayek could do this stuff in her sleep. 
I mean, the, I mean, quite the cleverest thing about it is her casting because she's been the the love interest slash sidekick for so many of yeah. these movies. I think about her. I think about um, uh, Desperado. That's it. That's, that, that's, of, yeah. that's where I go to. I go to the sort of hint we got of her as an action star in Desperado, mm. and it's surprising to me that it's taken this long for that to actually become a thing. But uh, no, she's excellent in it. She's you know solid, likable female lead. I don't think this is the is, this is a good step forward for the female side of the action genre. But it's not you know the great moment that we kind of want to happen. Hmm. And it's very sad that we have to rely on things like the concepts of expender bells and stuff like that for, to, for that to actually happen. Do you not think Lucy was a big push forward? I think Lucy is more of a science fiction film, but yes, for the most part. Uh, Columbiana is one that, as well that I think of. Because that's getting a sequel now, apparently. It is, as is Lucy. As is Lucy. Yeah. Yeah. How is Lucy getting a sequel? Am I the only person that saw the I think the even, movie? even Luc Besson said, how, how would we do a sequel? <laughs> I have no idea. But uh, no, uh, Everly, I really enjoyed the pacing of it, the style. It, it's quick, it's fun. Mm. It, it owes a debt to Crank as well. It has that sort of Crank oh, sense. Oh, nice, yeah. you, you remember how Crank just literally started and he just got up and ran? Yeah. That's this movie. Just gets up, runs. That, that's the movie. And run and kill, that's it. And uh, I mean, call her Jane Wick at your peril, <laughs> as it were. Um, I think it's it's a fun, it's a beer and pizza flick. Uh, it, it's not really going. It's never going to win the best picture award or anything like that. But let's be honest: did you really expect it to from the poster? No, no. So, uh, a competition plug. We should plug some competitions. Let's do that. Yeah. Our Minion Goggles competition still going on on the site, onscreenfilm.com. Go along, go in our competition section. At the minute there's a Minion Goggles competition, win a pair of uh, goggles from the Minions movie. Um, coming up this next week, we've got competitions for the home release of The Wedding Ringer, which include goodie bags with, with various okay. like, coffee mugs, shot yeah. glasses, T-shirts. Everything you would expect. Everything you would expect. <laughs> and there's uh, Chappie as well. We're doing Chappie giveaways. We're giving away Blu-rays for uh, the home release of Chappie as well. So all that's onscreenfilm.com. Go along, have a look at the competition section. So also in the film news this week, then... Mm, I mean, this what have we got? It's it's a busy... I mean, we haven't said one of the biggest go, go pieces for it. of news. Spider-Man. Oh, God, yes. Tom Holland is Spider-Man. This, this yeah. was confirmed, finally. Finally. This, so this is Tom Holland, who most people know from The Impossible. I say most people. Most people claim to know from The Impossible. I yeah. don't remember. How many people... Yeah. How many people remember <laughs> Tom Holland? Come on. Nobody's seen In the Heart of the Sea yet. Okay, that's nobody's it, yeah. seen it, right? Nobody. We, we should have done, but should have. <laughs> right. Everybody thinks that's going to win Oscars, so we yeah, shall see. Yeah. see I hope so. I hope it's but good. Yes, Tom Holland, of who's basically the young kid in the Impossible. I think I mocked him when the movie came out, but uh, I remember mocking uh, Ewan McGregor, shouting Miriam really loudly. Oh, yeah, Miriam. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's also in uh, Wolf Hall. If you've seen that, nope, not seen that one. Wolf Hall's good. So what else? Oh, Das Boot. Das Boot being remade. You heard this? Yeah, I've heard that. What? Das Boot, the classic submarine movie by Wolfgang Peterson, is yeah. getting remade. <laughs> Why? And and for the record, you only get to remake Das Boot if you get Jürgen Prosch now a cameo in it. Yeah. That's the only way you're allowed to. Is it? Is it going to be as long as Das Boot? I, I don't know. And God help us. Oh, one film I want to talk about. This is in the film news. Uh, have you heard of Napkin Notes? No, no, I no. Right, okay. This is based on a book uh, by Garth Callahan. Is his name? It's his memoir. Right. Okay. This is and he. This is the story of. Uh, he's a dad who tried to bond with. He made an attempt to bond with his daughter by writing notes to her on napkins that he would put into her lunchbox every day when she went to school. That's sweet. And when he was diagnosed with cancer, this took oh, on. There it is. A, yeah, 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 see, you're seeing the film now, aren't you? <laughs> this took on a new meaning, and of course, he and his daughter would still communicate <clears> with the napkin notes and. And then his cancer went into remission and came, then came back four times. So 
And now, I know you can, you can you can you can see yeah you you can just see the Aaron Eckhart role in this. <laughs> you can just see. Oh, I would not be surprised. <laughs> right, I've predicted it. Aaron Eckhart. This is going to be produced by Pacific Standard, which, if you're not familiar with, is Reese Witherspoon's production company. So Reese Witherspoon and the producer of Gone Girl are mm. going to be making this movie. Now, bear in mind that their last movie was Hot Pursuit, and that hasn't quite gone down so well. But this, this Reese Witherspoon was a producer on Gone Girl. Well, yeah, that's, so, that's the strange thing. Yeah. But uh, oh, speaking that's of Aaron Eckhart, I know Aaron Eckhart. Speaking of, have you heard about his new film? Is that the Go Live? Is it called? It's called is it, Live. Is it just Live? Live right. exclamation mark. Real time, is it all in real time? Real time action thriller in which he's a disgraced cop who has 80 minutes to save the commissioner's daughter whilst a serial killer hunts him. Why not? This, this, That's a good premise. Yeah, I, I could That's that. to the point. Yeah. yeah. I, there is there is a slight chance that it might be found footage because it does involve him teaming up with a report, uh, a, a journalist who's following him. Oh, so okay. it might be found footage. But... I can see if I work it. Kind of, kind, of, kind of can as well. Yeah. So. Right, next review then, what we got? Okay, we have uh, She's Funny That Way. Is is She Funny That Way? It's a it's a pretty chucklesome movie. You know, Imogen Poots is, is quite fun. So this is this is the return of Peter Bogdanovich. How yeah. long has he been away? Is it eight years? It's something like that. Something yeah. like eight years. Peter Bogdanovich is back. He's directed a movie. And it seems like in those eight years, he was harboring a desire to make a Woody Allen movie for some reason. Yeah, and that's what he's, definitely. Yeah, that's what he's done here. So this is the story of a call <laughs> girl played by Imogen Poots. And her name is Glow Stick? Glowbug? I'm looking it up. You're looking it up. Okay. <laughs> Izzy. Her real name's Izzy, but she calls herself... Uh, That's all I can find, is her name is Isabella Patterson. Okay, so her name's Izzy. She uh, hooks up with a uh, a stage director one night, a, a wealthy stage director, played by Owen Wilson, in his hotel, who offers her money to give up her uh, illicit life and pursue her dreams, which she, of course, does. The only problem is that her dream is to be an actress... And when she finds herself oh, cast in his see where play, this is going, yeah. yeah, when she finds herself cast in his play, wouldn't you know it? Wacky comedy of errors styles hijinks ensue. Here's a clip. I really like you. <laughs> Listen, you want to make a deal with me? Oh, what kind of deal? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow. But if you. If you promise me tonight solemnly, on your word of honor, that you'll never do this again, I'll, I'll give you thirty thousand dollars. Want to have sex? No, no. You know, for money. Promise me you'll only do it when you, when you like someone or for love. Oh. Well, you you're gonna give me thirty thousand dollars for that? Yeah, and it'll it'll give you a fresh start on your acting and. Mm-hmm. Whatever you want to do. Imogen Boots and Owen Wilson there. Basically, that's the proposition moment, really. That's the, I'll mm. give you money to pursue your dreams kind of. I will say this, though. He's an oddly nice guy if he just goes around offering 30k to prostitutes to give up their life of... Uh, sorry, is, is, is there any reason he's decided to become Richard Gere? I, I don't well, know, but just... there is a point in the film in which it, it's kind of... It, it, it's laid out for us that he makes a habit of it. He, he keeps doing exactly this. And... Right. And yet it keeps seems to keep backfiring on him, but he does it anyway. I don't quite understand. But there's there's no like kind of like like impetuous reason for <laughs> him to do he's it. He's just got a compulsion. He's got a compulsion. As far as fetishes go, that's yeah. As far, as I mean, far it's as noble, but it's weird. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I liked. I, I have a fetish about legitimizing core girls. <laughs> yeah. But um, although, you know, given that the two core girls we encounter are Imogen Poots and Jennifer Esposito, he seems to have exceptional taste in core girls. And oh, and they're all run by Debbie Mazar as well. That's, oh, that's right. a, a really weird bit. Mm. Again, Woody Allen-esque casting. So, Woody Allen is the name of the day in this film. I mean, mm. is this sort of loving homage to 40s, you know, glamour, glamorous Hollywood-style inspired uh, screwball comedies, yeah. for lack of a better term. And it is it, it's very much that sort of a film. Um, as, as returns go for Bogdanovich, it's nice to see him back, but I wish we'd had something more traditional from his body of work, mm. more in his style. And this really, this, if, if I didn't see his name on the way into the film, on the credits, I really would have thought this was a Woody Allen film because everything about it feels Woody Allen-like. Mm. And then you've got Woody, uh, you've got Owen Wilson there. Who's, exactly, Who's yeah. been in at least two of them. He's right? been in two, yeah. Been in two Woody Allen films. So you think, okay, so he clearly knows this, yeah. and he knows what to do in a Woody Allen So that's what he's doing. He's doing his he's, Woody he's Allen He's being his character from Midnight in Paris. But then it gets slightly more interesting because you think, actually, Owen Wilson, you know, probably owes more of a debt to Wes Anderson. And that's when you discover that, wouldn't you know it, Wes Anderson is a producer on this. Is he really? He is. Wes Anderson is a producer on this film, which happens to star Owen Wilson. Yeah. So okay, fair enough. Now, Owen Wilson, the only problem with Owen Wilson's casting, he's very good in it, but he seems a little bit too naive and a bit too nicey-nicey for what the role entails. He's, he's too good-natured, I think. It's that it's that problem, and we have this all the time with Owen Wilson, his RG shucks mentality. Mm. Um, does, does he say wow in this film? I believe so. I believe he does at a point. Wow. Reese Iffens does steal the film, though, as does Catherine Hahn. I'm a big fan of Catherine Hahn. I'm a big fan. Well, we've discussed her appearance in uh, Tomorrowland. Yes, Tomorrowland. With, with uh, Keegan-Michael Key. But, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and his great Star Wars entrance. Yes, but no, uh, no. So I think she's great here. Although she is continuing her uh, her attempt to be this generation's Catherine O'Hara. But yeah. <laughs> that seems to be her that career path. It, she's, yeah. she's Catherine O'Hara. If she can sing as well, then I think she's got it. I think she's. I think she will. She'll be able yeah. to sing. <laughs> she, she's the full package. Is old Catherine. Get her a voice role in the next animated Tim Burton film. There <laughs> exactly. you are. But uh, no, I liked the film, but I wasn't dazzled by it, and that's the thing for me. I, I think because it was the return of Peter Bogdanovich, I expected to be dazzled, and I wasn't. I, I was, you know, intrigued. I was interested, and I enjoyed it, but I wasn't dazzled, and and that's that's the thing for me. I lacked the dazzle factor. Okay. So, did you watch this? Did you get to see this? Uh, no, I'm seeing it next week. Uh, I'm sorry. But I think, to be honest, if, if you go in knowing the, the whole Woody Allen, Wes Anderson, mm. I think, to be honest, you, you'll, you'll be on a, a better level of expectation. I think that's definitely going to change my opinion. Well, yeah, well, we shall see on that one. Mm. Uh, right, jo- uh, Joseph Fiennes, have we heard this news? Uh, yeah, is this the Chariots of Fire film? Chariots of Fire sequel? Really? It's not the one I was anticipating. That's <laughs> what <laughs> sequels go. <laughs> I, I like Chariots of Fire, I like it a lot. I watched it on a big screen well, a couple of years ago when it was re-released. I didn't get to go, would you believe? I really wanted to. It was to. good. I got one of the big posters as well. One of that. Well, check you out. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Does this guy know how to party or what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Josie Fines has been uh, has been cast as the lead in of uh, Eric Lydell, I think the name. Eric Lydell. Yeah. Eric Lydell in it's called The Last Race. So, and this isn't with the sequel to Chariots of Fire. Well, I mean, they left it long enough. Let's be honest. It's mm. been what forty years, forty five years, forty four years. I don't think it's been that long. Is it not? I thought it was early eighties. Chariots of Fire. Is it not? So it's about, it's about 30 years, we'll say. Uh, I'm doing the math wrong. That's what it is. Yeah. Right, okay. Eli Roth news as well. Have you heard about Meg? 
Is that the big shark? This is the big, the big shark. shark. <laughs> Eli Roth is going to direct a giant shark movie called Meg. Go figure. This one couldn't turn out badly. So it's, no, it's going to be like shark torture porn. Shark torture porn. Mm. Shark, shark to porn? No. Shark to porn. Uh, 1981. 1981. So I was right. So you were, okay, okay, I take on. my uh, my hat off. Oh, no, no, no. That would be 34 years. 34 years. Oh, well, okay. I, I, I put my hat back I on. I was off by 10 years. You can put yeah. your hat back on. <laughs> right. Um, Michael Stuhlbarg. Do you know Michael Stuhlbarg? Yeah, I love him. From uh, uh, A Serious Man. Yeah. From A Serious Brilliant. Man. Yeah. Brilliant. Have, you, have you heard about his, his new job? No, I have not. He has signed up to appear in a science fiction movie called Story of Your Life. Okay. Opposite Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner, and this is the story. All over that, exactly. Definitely. This is the story about a uh, NASA linguist who studies an alien language that allows her to see through time and space, just over the course of learning about this language. Okay, go figure. Wow, I'm, I'm intrigued. Sounds like sounds a bit contact-like, but yeah, I could live with it. <laughs> right. So, what's our next review? Then we got. Uh, I was going to say, she's funny that way. We've just done we've that. Just done on. Okay, we've got uh, Going Clear, Scientology, and The Prison of Belief. Which is the latest from Alex Gibney. Do you, are you, have you found of his work? What else has he done? He did uh, The Armstrong Lie most recently. Oh, wow, well, yeah, yeah, I yeah. watched that. Yeah. Did you watch that one? I watched that, yeah. It was, uh, that was, that was an interesting one. I remember thinking it was. Th- there were certain issues with the reality of that film, I think, mm. that... I think Alex Gibney himself overlooked. This time around, though, we've got kind of the opposite problem. We actually have too much information. We, actually, it's the blackfish problem. I'm going to call it the blackfish problem. Okay. This time around, Alex Gibney has turned his attention to Scientology. Now, what he's done is he's assembled a lot of ex-Scientologists who happen to be big names in the industry. So, for instance, Paul Haggis. Now, Paul Haggis is very front really? and centre in this film. And he's in our clip, which we're going to play in a second. <laughs> now, Paul Haggis, because of his natural storytelling abilities... Well, uh, not when it comes to Crash. Not when it comes to Crash. Uh, gives us most of the narrative of the Church of Scientology in this documentary, which explores, first of all, the origins of Scientology, the actual career of L. Ron Hubbard, from, science, from going into the military to going into science fiction to becoming a religious founder and figurehead to what became of the church then, to the practices they have embarked on past, present, and, well, not so much future, but uh, basically all the illicit things they've gotten up to. And we are given this information through various uh, law enforcement officials and people who are formerly, sorry, formerly officials of the church of Scientology, including Paul Haggis. Here's a clip. I finally get to OT3, and they give me the secret materials, which you've been hearing about all this time. They're handwritten by Hubbard. You have to keep them in a locked briefcase. Be very cautious, because they've always said, if this gets out, it's dangerous to people. You can actually do them harm if they are not adequately prepared. And I read it. And it doesn't make any sense. I think remember for one fleeting second thinking, well, maybe it's an insanity test. Maybe if you believe this, they kick you out. <laughs> maybe that's it. That, of course, is not the case. So Paul Haggis there explaining to us at exactly which point you get told about Xenu, which apparently is quite late in the game. Like, you have to reach OT level 3, which I think at one point we are told that to get to OT level 3 costs rough, roughly so many thousand and... Yeah. <laughs> 
Paul Haggis's reaction to that is fantastic. As you can hear from the clip, it's fantastic. Which is okay. So you spend years in this religion, you know, which is helping, which has a positive effect and psychological. And then you're told this, which you might think is a is a sanity test. And it's hard not to see it that way because you think, in reality, could you imagine being told that? Wow! Like just one day, someone tells you, "Oh yeah, everything you believe is based on this." And you go, oh, oh, okay. It's quite damning, isn't it? It, it is quite damning. And it's it's kind of hard not to side with them in that way. The only problem mm. is, and again, this is the blackfish effect. If you make a documentary about an organisation and nobody from that organisation comments on it, it's a very one-sided affair and the film, therefore, makes the point in their favour. Mm. So this we we saw this with SeaWorld in Blackfish, where nobody from SeaWorld wanted to come. No, nobody wanted to get involved. Exactly, and so what you had was a documentary which did a pretty good job at condemning SeaWorld. Yeah, well, they had a lot of evidence. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You've now got the same with Scientology. You've got no one from Scientology wants to talk about it, and and they actually give you a list at the end of people they approach, which for the record includes Tom Cruise and John Travolta. I knew they were going to come up. Exactly. Well, one of the people who is involved in the film is John Travolta's former assistant from the Church of Scientology. Okay. So Scientology assigned an assistant to John Travolta years and years ago. John Travolta was literally at her wedding. We're shown this at points, that John Travolta is there in the wedding party. You know, you know where they get the, 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 the party of like six people in the wedding pictures? Yeah. He's one of them. He's one of the six most important people at this woman's wedding. So she knew him fairly well. Quite well, well yeah. Right. There are points in the film in which, which she tells stories, for instance, about things that John Travolta said and did. And a caption appears on the bottom of the screen. John Travolta's lawyers have denied this story. <laughs> yeah. And the, the only thing is, there's nothing new particularly to be gained from the film as a whole. What the film actually, because there's so many documentaries about Scientology now, what this film really achieves is compiling it all into one compendium. This is basically the contents of 12 other documentaries, all compiled into one definitive one. And, you know what, I'm not going to say it's a bad documentary, it's not at all. Um, It's about as good as the Armstrong lie was, in fairness. I just don't think you'll learn anything new from it. But, but you know what, it's successful enough in what it does, it just suffers from that blackfish effect. So... So, should we just see if we've got any more film news left before we go on to the last review, though? I think we've got a couple of pieces to talk about. Ooh, 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 Michael Shannon and Carla Gugino. They've got a new job. What is that? Wolves. Which As sad- in they, they are being wolves? Well, sadly, it's not a sequel to The Grey, which, when you say wolves to me, <laughs> I, I kind of hope. I, I, adore I love seeing Mark Shannon as a wolf. <laughs> oh, <laughs> He's God. got the crazy eyes. The Wolfman remade with Michael Shannon. Oh, yeah, like oh. a modern day. Yeah, oh, that would work. Man. Maybe that'll be the end of 99 Homes. Have you seen the trailer for 99 Homes? I have not. Andrew Garfield, Michael Shannon. No, looks, I have not seen that. Looks good. Looks really good. Well, this is uh, this is going to be a, uh, a sort of a, this is going to be a, a, a drama set in uh, come on contemporary day. It's the story of a basketball prodigy struggling with uh, personal mm. issues and troubled parents. Of course, those parents are going to be Carl Gugino and Michael, Michael Shannon. Shannon. Although I am happy that Carl Gugino is getting work so soon after uh, San Andreas. Because yeah, I bet she's being offered every single lead. Role I, I for still find it incredibly odd. After that film, I'd, I'd find it odd that Carl Gugino got offered the lead in San for in a massive tentpole movie. I love Carl Gugino, one of my favourite actresses. Oh, she's good, but I found it really, really odd. Like who, who sat around the table and was it a question of we spent all the money on Johnson and Dario? Who do we get to be the mum? Oh, let's just get Carl Gugino. Yeah. We've got hundred grand spare. Let's get Carl Gugino. <laughs> 
And then and then a Kylie cameo. Okay, fair enough. Because <laughs> we all overlooked the uh, Kylie cameo. Oh, we never got to talk about this last week. Um, Captain Sullenberger in Miracle on the Hudson. It's gonna yeah. be Tom Hanks. Captain it? Hanks. He's just going to be all the captains. Now. He is. Is there going to be? Is there going to be a point when his co-pilot takes over? And says, I am the captain now. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. what I want to see. <laughs> Actually, you know, as a film, it, it's kind of limited in scope because we know how it ends. Mm. We we, we kind of know that's literally going to be the poster. Is is going to be this plane in the Hudson, and yeah, yeah. but we kind of we all knew the end of Captain Phillips as well. I mean, that's well, yeah, I suppose it's the thing with biopics, unless something something crazy happens. <laughs> and it's clear, it's clear Eastwood directing, so I don't think anything crazy is going to. I feel yeah. like Clint Eastwood just lets. Less the cameras roll. He doesn't yeah. really. He's kind of got to that stage where they wheel him out, and he just kind of sits there, and he squints at them, and that's his direction. You like, do some acting. Yeah. Get, get me hanks. Yeah. Get me hanks. <laughs> I think that's what happens. Um, did we talk about uh, Kickass last week? Because Matthew Vaughn. I decided... wanted to. Yeah. No, yeah. I don't he... think we talked about it. No. no. He he wants. Right. He wants to do another sequel and a prequel. To kick ass. Do you want to do a standalone Hit Girl film? Well, I think one of those is meant to be Hit Girl as well. One, okay. One, either the sequel or the... Well, I'm not sure. But Oh, Alison Hannigan has, has a new job as well. She's been cast in the indie uh, romantic comedy... Well, indie drama, sorry. Uh, Modern Love, which is about gay marriage. So, you know, as of last night, that's going to be kind of interesting. Apt, yeah. It's pretty apt, isn't it? I'm glad we didn't read that last week now, because now gay marriage is legal in the States. Yeah. This movie's going to have a whole rainbow aesthetic that it didn't have before. <laughs> But uh, oh, Relativity Studios. Have you heard about this one? Uh, all of the debt. Wow, yeah. all of the debt. But they have. Uh, have they got an extension. They did. Is it, is it ten days they got? It's something like that. Something yeah. like that. They've got ten days to uh, pay off their three hundred and fifty million dollar debt, which is going to see see to it that they have to sell off the rights to the Crow. You know that movie that nobody wants to be in. Including Jack Houston. Including Jack Houston. Thanks again, Mr. Houston. We love you yeah. on Instagram. <laughs> so, <laughs> give him a give him an intro. <laughs> but uh, no, nobody wants to be the crow. Bradley Cooper didn't want to be the crow. James McAvoy didn't James want to be the crow. James McAvoy didn't want to be the crow. Tom Hiddleston didn't want to be the crow. Tom Hiddleston want to be the crow. Nobody wants to be the crow. Um, I've heard that now it's between Nick Holt. Oh, God. Who I think is, he's got too much on now. Yeah. Way too much. And they got another um, X-Men movie due as well. Well, of course, yeah, yeah next, yes. next year, yeah. Uh, he's going to be Beast again, and uh, Jack O'Connell oh. He's now in the running. You know what, let it. Jack O'Connell do it. If any, it means going to be crap anyway, let Jack O'Connell do it. Oh, I don't mind him. <laughs> I can't stand the guy. Startup was good, I like Startup. Get out of my office. <laughs> <laughs> Mendelssohn, though, by Mendelssohn again. I really hate Startup with a passion. Really? But, uh, right, okay, final review of the week then, The Overnight. I think is, uh, we both enjoyed this. I think we did. So this is from Patrick Bryce. This is the story of a couple who have recently moved from Seattle to Los Angeles who encounter basically their new neighbour in the form of Jason Schwartzman. Mm. I don't know about you, but if I move into a new neighbourhood and find Jason Schwartzman's my neighbour, I'm moving back out. But uh, Really? <laughs> I'd be like, I'm, I'm going to go get my guitar. And we're gonna go. We're, gonna go we're jam, very definitely. different people. Guys. We are. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I see this little Jackson Brown-looking guy, yeah, but exactly. I start talking to him about music and stuff, I'll be like, "Oh yeah, cool." So uh, the couple in question are uh, Adam Scott from Parks and Recreation and Taylor Schilling from Orange Is the New Black, who, for the second time in a row, is running around making sour faces at someone named Alex. Go figure. Just, mm. just, just putting that out there. Just putting that out there. His name's Alex. She runs around. After him. It's exactly the same <laughs> as she is in Orange Is the New Black. 
But uh, okay, so they go to a dinner party with uh, Schwartzman and his wife. Uh, dinner party slash play date. Yeah, they bring the two kids. They bring um, the two kids. Sorry, um, Alex and what's. Uh... Taylor Schilling's character, Emily. Um, yes. Yeah, Alex they they bring their, their son along to meet Kurt and Charlotte's Charlotte. son. There we are. Once they once the kids have been put to bed, however, the adults decide to amuse themselves, and what quickly follows is a night that will redefine everybody's relationships with each other and even themselves. Here's a clip. You know, you've got a really great look. Uh, Anybody ever tell you that? No. You've got a really neat thing going on. Mind if I snap a couple? Um, I think I might need some direction or... If you don't, you just do whatever you were just doing. It was great. Really? Yeah. It's great. Relax. Like that? Yeah. Wait. Okay. Your shirt's kind of blending in with the backdrop. Would you take it off, please? My shirt? Yeah. All right. You were a big fan of this. I was a big fan. You were. You you got to see this before me as well. I only saw this yesterday. I know, yeah. Last week. So I was a, I was at Minions. I've, I've, I've had like a good week to <laughs> yeah. really think about it. No, I know you were quite the fan. But, yeah, uh, definitely. I haven't. This is the second film from Patrick Bryce. I the other one being Creep, being and Creep, I've, yeah. I've not had the chance to see Creep yet. So I but, have seen Creep. Well, this was produced under the tutelage of the Duplass brothers. And it sort of shows, doesn't it? It kind of feels like it has Absolutely, that Duplass yeah. info. I gather you were a fan of the Duplass brothers. I am, yeah. Um, so I've told you about a film called uh, The One I Love. Yes, Which yes, Mark have. Duplass is in. And it's definitely got a similar kind of feel. Similar vibe. Yeah, similar the, the thing vibe. With it is, it's a very definitely. character-driven sort of dramedy, isn't it? In a sense, it, it doesn't, It's not big on story, but it's very big on character. I don't even know if I'd call it a dramedy. It's a weird comedy... Drama, sex fusion. comedy, weird thriller. Yeah, I'd call it a yeah. fusion. A fusion, yeah. <laughs> a fusion. Big melting pot of comedy drama. This it's very difficult to pigeonhole, isn't it? It, it is. It's. It, I mean, there's, there were even there, there were faint moments of like character thriller in there as well, in a Absolutely. strange way. Yeah. But it is all about the relationships between people, mm. and and it is. I mean, to be honest, it has and it. The whole the movie takes place over the course of one entire night, and as the film goes on, it kind of has that feeling that you've been up all night drinking yourself. Yeah, you know, you 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 stood up and had a bit too much wine. Has that feeling to it? It's exceptionally well shot. I really love. I mean, particularly oh, yeah. its its view of Los Angeles at night, kind of thing. I love oh, it, it. looks stunning. Yeah, stunning, absolutely. stunning good film. Uh, the performances though are great. I mean, Adam Scott um, has. I think it's because of his his proficiency in in the comedy genre. Mm. But when he's, uh, I have noticed that when he tries to go for the more dramatic stuff, he can come across a little bit snarky, and there's there's hints of that in there. But it seems to be quite intentionally gauged mm. for a change. Taylor Schilling, very good, however, not really a stretch given what we've seen from her in the past. That's it. I mean, her character just has to look a little bit like exacerbated. Can, well, that's it. She's a reactionary character, and I think at the yeah. side of given how much Adam Scott's character has to do and how much she has to do, there is a real imbalance there. Yeah, absolutely. I did really like Schwartzman, though. It's... Well, he kind of it's it's kind of his job to sort of anchor the film. I think. I mean, he's he's the one that brings the, like events into motion. I think. He, he is. I think he is he the inciting. He's the inciting yeah. character. And uh, no, I did enjoy it. it is, it's one of those performances. That I I think you would look at this character on paper and objectively find that Jason Schwartzman is really the only ideal candidate for it. 
It's on, on a script level, but yeah. this has to be Jason Schwartzman. There's no one else can do this really. Because I can't think of any like you look at Knock Knock with Keanu Reeves. Okay, Nicholas Cage could have done Nick that Cage could have done quite that. easily. Could have in fact, him. that sounded a little bit like Trespass. It, like, it kind of did, yeah. <laughs> Which I have still not watched, and I really need to. It. But uh, you know, say like you could you could cast yeah. Nicholas Cage in in Knock Knock. It wouldn't wouldn't make really make much of a mm. difference. Uh, Jason Schwartzman cannot be replaced in this film. He's essential to what makes this film. Work. See, I don't know because I I was watching it and. I thought that his was definitely the best version of that, but I was thinking you can you could put somebody like Will Forte in this. And, you think? Yeah, definitely. Mm, that's an somebody, in fact, you could put Mark Duplass in that. Well, I don't know. I no, I don't. I think he's a bit too wet behind the ears, to be yeah. honest. But uh, I enjoyed it anyway. Yeah. I did. I was a big fan of the Overnight, and uh, it does feature a prosthetic bill that is going to haunt my dreams. Well, which I one? Uh, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> it does feature a prosthetic that's going to haunt my dreams. Yeah. But and so you were a fan as well. There we are. Okay, fair enough. So, film of the week. What is it for you? Well, by default, I'm going to say the Overnight because it's the only one I've seen. But I think even if I'd seen the rest of them, the Overnight would still be it. Right, I'm I'm giving it to Slow West. Okay, myself. Um, I, may, I may retroactively change my answer after I, the show is finished. I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd be curious to see what you made of Slow West, uh, especially you know if you, how it stacked up against the Overnight. Yeah, I like a slow burn western though. Mm. I really do. Well, actually, interestingly enough, Slow West and the Overnight both very character driven. So we shall see. Uh, coming up on next week's show. Ooh. The Amy Winehouse documentary, Amy, is finally upon us. Uh, we have uh, Justin Long and Emmy Rossum in the indie romantic drama Comet. We have filmmaking uh, revisionist history documentary, The First Film, which gets its premiere in Bradford, I believe, on Thursday night. Uh, Magic Mike XXL is upon us. It's a bit of a mouthful. It really title. is. It's a bit of a mouthful, no <laughs> pun intended. And of course, there is no fate but what Hollywood keeps insisting on making for us. Genocide. Terminator, Gen- <laughs> Terminator Genocide. Genesis. Do you know that Genesis refers to an app, by the way? That is, really, that is that's... Skynet's new mechanism. An is app. an app. Yes. This is. You can tell I'm I, the diehard Terminator fan. I'm really excited <laughs> really for this version. <laughs> yeah, in which Skynet's an app. Yay! Yay. <laughs> so all that and more to come next week. This has been a Candy Store production for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been uh, Case Allen. We'll be back next week. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Okay.